Good morning. The scripture reading today is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, which I was able to find with my handy-dandy missionary bookmark. If you didn't get yours, they'll be in the back for you to take home, and I hope you'll take one. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heaven, in heavenly realms, according to this eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence, ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. Amen. Thank you, Lorraine. Well, we did not find out till after three in the morning on Wednesday who our next president is going to be. Uh, I fell asleep at 1.30. I was really proud of myself. I'm getting older and have two small children. I tried. Uh, I didn't find out for sure until the morning. Of course, the question is, why did it take so long? Why did it take so long for us to find out who our next president is going to be? And, of course, uh, the answer is something that is being reiterated over and over and over again in the news. In fact, some of you are probably really annoyed that I even brought it up this morning. But the reason... what. The reason why it took so long uh, is because our country is very divided. Our country is very divided, and so it was a close call. And our country is very divided. And, and when I say divided, I don't, I don't mean like a, like a subtle division, like, like a subtle divide. Like, you know, it's not like half the country wants to eat at McDonald's and half the country wants to eat at Burger King. You know, it's more like half the country wants to go get sushi, and the other half of the country wants to go eat at Cracker Barrel. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big divide. And there's a lot of animosity. And there's a lot of hostility uh, amongst people in our country surrounding this issue. Uh, in fact, let me, let me put it this way. Uh, if you voted for... Do, do not raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. If you voted for Hillary Clinton, okay, if you voted for Hillary Clinton, this is what you need to understand. To people who voted for Donald Trump, this is what you look like. If you voted for Hillary Clinton, to those who voted for Donald Trump, 
You look like the devil. And, and, and guess what? If, if you voted for Donald Trump, then to the people who voted for Hillary Clinton, guess what you look like? I don't have another slide. <laughs> right? I, I, I mean, honestly, again, don't raise your hand, but, but if, you, if you voted for Donald Trump, just, he, I know you thought at some point along the way, you're like, how could a Christian possibly vote for Hillary Clinton? And, and, and those of you who voted for Hillary Clinton, at some point in this process, you, you thought to yourself or said out loud or, God forbid, maybe even posted it on Facebook, how could a Christian ever vote for Donald Trump? I mean, we're, we're, we're divided. There's, there's a lot of hostility and a lot of, a lot of animosity. And, and I've, I've watched on Facebook, it's been interesting to see how, how people in, in the recent couple of days, you're, you're seeing people like pull off of Facebook, you know, because they've just had it with, They've had it with being attacked, and, and they've had it with, you know, all of these attacks on them and their character, and, and the truth is they're, they're tired of attacking everybody else, too, and so, so they're, just, they're just retreating, and they're signing off Facebook, and, and all these people are doing this, and, and to be honest with you, it, it reminds me very much of C.S. Lewis's definition of hell. In The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis paints this picture of hell. And hell is this place where people continue to move farther and farther and farther away from one another because they can't stand to be around other people. Today we're taking a, uh, a break. Oh, well, we took a break last week. We're taking a break again this week from our series. We're going through a series called the story, and we're taking a break from that. We're going to come back to it, but for reasons that will become evident later on, I wanted to take a break from it. Now, admittedly, this sermon I'm going to give here could very easily have fit into the story. Uh, it, it would probably be several months from now when we get to this point. I mean, several months from now, we'll, we'll probably get to, I might even come back to the book of Ephesians, which is the book that this passage is in, but that'll be several several months from now, and, and what we need to know about the book of Ephesians is one of the themes of the book of Ephesians is the theme that God has come to bring reconciliation. God has come to bring reconciliation. He's come to reconcile all things, and the terminology is, is like that. of It's like a, a banking terminology. You know when you reconcile the books, when the books aren't right and you have to try to get them right? It's kind of what this word means. And, and, and the idea here, what the, what the Bible is teaching, is that the books aren't right in this world. Right? The books aren't right. Things are, are off. And so the heart of the gospel is that God has come to reconcile the books, to, to put all things right again. And, of course, at the heart of it, what it begins with, at the heart of this reconciliation, is that God has come to reconcile each and every one of us with him. He's come to make things right between us and him. The Hanleys, uh, the Hanley family, we, um, we are currently living in a perpetual hurricane season. Uh, it's been hurricane season for the Hanleys for the past four years. 
Uh, and there are, there are these two hurricanes that just keep uh, growing and getting stronger, uh, Hurricane Grace and Hurricane Caleb, and, and they're just picking up speed, and, and they, go, they go through the house, and they, just, and they just, you know, clothing comes out of the drawers, and toys are all over the floor, and they're spilling dishes, and they're, and they're pulling books off of the, you know, the bookshelf, and and, and so, you know, we kind of like, it's like we spend our entire lives in like hurricane relief effort just, you know, going around trying to, trying to clean things up because it just kind of never ends. Um, but I want you to imagine here for a moment that if you were cleaning your house, I, I want you to imagine for your moment that you were cleaning your house and, you know, there's just, there's clothes, there's toys everywhere. And you, you go around the corner and you discover that there is an elephant in the room. There's an elephant in the living room. Not, not, not a, like a little toy, you know, stuffed animal elephant. I mean, a real, there is a legitimate real element, elephant in your living room, right? Now, here's the thing. If, you, if you're cleaning the house, you see, it does not matter uh, how messy your house is. Um, it does not matter how much clothes are on the floor or how high the dishes have gotten stacked up. In the sink, it really doesn't matter how messy it is because the priority is that elephant in the room. You see, friends, God is the elephant in the room of our lives. You see, many of us, we we spend our lives trying to reconcile things. We spend our lives trying trying to get things right. Try to get my marriage right. The, the, the books are off, so I'm trying to reconcile my marriage. Or I'm, I'm trying to you know, reconcile my career. My career is, is off. It's not, it's not right. Or maybe you're really trying to reconcile the books. Your finances are off. You're, you're trying to reconcile all of this. And, and, and what you need to realize is that, is that trying to reconcile all of those things without first dealing with God, it's a little bit like going through your house, cleaning up all the clothes and all the dishes when there's an elephant in the room. The most important thing that each and every one of us needs to do before we reconcile all of these other things is be reconciled with God. And of course, the very heart of the gospel The very heart of the Bible is that God has come to make things right with you, to make things right with me. We we see this here in verse 12. In him, yeah, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. In him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. We can approach God. God, because things are right. In him, we can approach God because things are right. Now, what does in him mean? Well, in him, you go back to verse 11. It says, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. At the very heart of the gospel is that God has come in the person of Jesus to make things right between you and him. That on the cross, Jesus died for And I don't know if this is the first time you've heard it or the 700th time that you've heard it, but we need to hear this. 
Because this is what allows us to deal with that elephant in the room. God is saying, I want to be right with you. I want to be in a relationship with you. You can approach me with freedom and confidence and be in my presence. My prayer for you today is that you might get right with God by simply confessing your sin before him and looking to the cross and seeing that he's inviting you into his that God's come to, to reconcile all things. It begins with reconciling ourselves with God. But it actually goes beyond that. We see that the reconciliation that God has come to bring isn't just between me and God and, and you and God, but actually he, the reconciliation is such that God has come to reconcile all of us together to him. There's a, a vertical reconciliation, but there's also a, a horizontal reconciliation. And, and, and Paul sees this as being very central to what the gospel is all about. We see this here beginning in verse 2. It says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. Here, we see this word mystery. Paul's saying there's this, there's this mystery that I've come to understand. There's this mystery, meaning it's, it's hidden. People haven't seen it. People haven't seen what it is, right? Okay, well, what is this mystery? He goes on, he says, that mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly about. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ. Okay, what's the mystery of Christ? Okay, well, what's Christ? Well, first of all, we need to remember Christ is not Jesus' last name. Uh, he is not the son of Joseph and Mary Christ. Christ is a Greek word that refers to the Messiah. Right? It's the mystery of the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Well, what's the Messiah all about? Well, if you were, if you were here last week, uh, we looked at this. We, we, we looked at the passage where David is made king of Israel, and he's promised this kingdom that will never end. But what we saw last week is that that kingdom slipped away. And so then as the kingdom slips away, the prophets of Israel, they began to look forward to this day when God would raise up this king in the line of David, the Messiah, the anointed one, who would come and, and would usher in this kingdom that would never end. And that's, that's what the Messiah is. The mystery of Christ. Now look at this. What is this mystery? It says that this mystery, verse 6, is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. See, the mystery is, is actually that God has come to reconcile God's people with those outside of the family of God. He's come to bring horizontal reconciliation. That's, that's the mystery, and I think that you see, the, the Israelites, they were, they were missing this. You see, they, they thought that, well, they knew, I mean, the Messiah was going to come, and, and they understood that to mean the Messiah was going to come and make things right for the people of God. The Messiah would come and make things right for God's people and, and God. And so they looked forward to that. And I think in, in American Christianity, we make the same mistake. And we think it's only about me getting right with God. And we miss this, this mystery that was hidden from them. And that is that God had actually come to reconcile them with others. And so then, of course, we read Paul talks about how in Christ Jesus, 
There's no longer male or female, slave or free, barbarian or Scythian, on and on and on. He's, he's talking about how God has come to reconcile all people. We, we see this word together three times in verse 6. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Actually, in the original, those little phrases are, are three different words, um, but this is being translated as three substantive phrases. But I think the NIV gets it right and captures the essence of these three words by emphasizing the togetherness that is at the heart of it. So God has come not just to, not just to reconcile us with him, but to reconcile us with, with one another. question is, how does God do this? How, how does he bring reconciliation into this world, this sort of horizontal coming together of all different people? We find the answer in verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities. And we're going to go into what the wisdom of God is. But we see here that this entire plan, this entire purpose to bring, bring people both before God, bring reconciliation before God, but also to reconcile all people together is to take place through the church. That's what the purpose of the church is for. Just... Yesterday, we had our Harvest Home Dinner, and our Harvest Home Dinner is a tradition in our church, and it's an expression, actually, of, of one of our core values. Our church here, we have these three core values, and, and, and a value isn't, isn't something that you do. A value isn't a program that you do. A value is, is something that kind of, it, it affects everything that you do. It's the way you carry on everything that you do, Right? And so we have these three values, and that's that we're gospel-centered, community-oriented, and outwardly-faced. Gospel-centered, community-oriented, and outwardly-faced. And, and this, this last one, outwardly-faced, our Harvest Home Dinner is really an expression, an expression of that. And it's a time when we get together and, and we think about what goes on outside of the walls of this church. And we think about how can we as a church reach those on the outside of the church. And so we had Steve Musser, who was here on Saturday, just sharing with us about how we can be missionaries, how we can live as missionaries in, in our, to our neighbors next door, to our coworkers, to whoever it may be, that, that this, this is what the church is called to do. We're called to be the means through which reconciliation comes to all people. question is, well, how, how, how do we do this? Now, well, what, what enables us, maybe is the way I should put this, what is it that enables us to do this? And we get a, a little hint here in verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Now, here's this phrase, the, the wisdom of God. And this phrase, wisdom of God, is, is used in the New Testament only in two other places. Um, it's used in, in the Gospels in one place, and there it really just is used to sort of personify God himself. 
Uh, and so certainly that can apply here. But, but Paul uses it in, in one other place. And I think if we look there, we might get a, a deeper understanding of what it means for the church to manifest the wisdom of God. So I'm going to turn here to 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You can turn there if you want to. You don't have to. It's on page 1,128 of your pew Bibles. And here we're going to find this phrase, the wisdom of God, and unpack a little more. What, is it, what does it mean? What, is it, what does it mean for the church then to manifest this wisdom of God? So here it is, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs. (laughs) Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So we see the wisdom of God is Christ crucified. The wisdom of God is Christ crucified. The wisdom of God is that Christ gave himself for us. So, so, so what, is it, what does it mean for the manifold wisdom of God to be manifested through the church? It's that we give ourselves. That we love people the way Christ loved us. So we see this again. Let me show you one other, one other place here in, in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to highlight this because this is a passage that has a couple of verses which are somewhat popular these days, and, and I, but I think we understand them better when we see the context here. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning of verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God. Now listen to this. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I want to kind of look at that verse there for a minute, because realize, what's the context here? The context here is that God is calling us to be ambassadors. God's calling us to the ministry of reconciliation. God's calling us to, to take forth the gospel and bring reconciliation. And, and, and so then notice this, what is verse 21? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. What's that talking about? That's talking about how Christ died for us. He became sin for us. He had no sin, but we had sin. But he took our sin upon him. He 
died for us. And look what it says here, that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, that word righteousness of God can also mean the faithfulness of God. And so I think this is, this is operating at a couple of different levels. But when we set it within this context of being ambassadors, what it's saying is that he died for us so that we might embody the very same faithfulness of God, that just as he died for us, that we might die for others in order to bring reconciliation. God has come to reconcile all people, to reconcile all people to God and together. And we do this by loving people as Christ loved us. Now, what does that look like practically? What does it look like for us to to love others as Christ has loved us? Let's just think about it for a second while. And I want to highlight just three very practical ways, thinking, taking into mind Steve Musser's message yesterday about how we're all called to be missionaries just right where we are, just right in our, our, to our next-door neighbors, to our coworkers, to our family members, to whoever it is. What are some practical ways in which we can be used by God to, to bring reconciliation? Let me just say three things. First of all, and this is going to be very simple. First of all, it begins with simply Taking interest in people that are different than us. Right? The the, the mystery of Christ was that Jews and Gentiles come together. Jews and Gentiles could not have been more more different. And they come together under under Christ, coming together to worship Christ, to be reconciled with Christ. They couldn't be more different. And so I, I think it begins with us just simply showing interest in people who are different than us. It means showing interest in, in, in your next-door neighbor who's very different than you, it has different hobbies than you, different interests than you. Uh, maybe it's, it's showing interest in a coworker who's of a different race than you. And so they have a very different history, a very different story. And so it just starts with just showing interest in them. You know, I mean, just, just, just asking them questions, just asking them about their life. You know, what's interesting is I, is I feel like in, in our modern culture, just the way it's set up, I feel like people are becoming more and more socially inept. We're just becoming more and more socially inept. We don't really know how to interact with people. It's kind of, it's kind of difficult. We don't, we're not really sure what to do. You know, you get, you get with somebody like, I don't know what to say. Or, what do I say? I just, I, you know, I don't know what to say. And it's, it's just kind of awkward, right? You know one of the things I've discovered? This doesn't work with everybody, okay? But here's what I've discovered is that most people love to talk about themselves. They really do. And so it's actually not that hard. All you've got to do is ask questions. Just ask questions. And, and then listen. Listen to them. You know, sometimes we're like, oh, what's the next thing I'm going to say? No, just listen to them. And then when you listen to them, you'll find there's another question you can ask. Yeah, hey, how are you doing? How was your day? Oh, you didn't have a good day? Oh, you got in a car accident? Oh, my goodness. I'm so sorry. Is there anything I can do? Oh, oh no, your, your parents are down. Oh, great, yeah, where are your parents from? I mean, you just, you just ask questions and you just listen. You just show interest. This begins with showing interest in people that are different. The first way in which we can bring reconciliation is simply by showing interest in people who are different. Secondly, we can bring reconciliation 
by showing respect and a willingness to learn from those who are different. It's, it's, not, just, it's not just interest. It's not just that we're interested. But, but that we, we, we respect them. We, there's a respect and there's, there's a willingness to, to learn from them. There's a, there's a humility involved. You know, Luke 14.11, Jesus, I'll read a couple of verses for you. We, we see that humility is, is just really at the center of sort of uh, just the way Christians are to carry themselves about. And Jesus says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And then, and then Colossians 4, chapter 6, like this verse, I think I marked it here. He says, let your conversation always be full of grace. Let your conversation always be full of grace. You see, see there's this sort of humility and respect for people who are different and even a willingness to learn from those who might be different. Now, what does that look like? What does that look like? Well, here's, here's what I'd say it looks like. I think that for Christians, that when we get involved in conversations, our conversations should look a whole lot more like acceptance and concession speeches than campaign speeches. Our conversation should, should look a whole lot more like accepted speeches and concession speeches than campaign speeches. I mean, isn't it true that Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton never looked better than they did on the Wednesday after the election? Isn't it true that, that both of them never looked as presidential as they did on the Wednesday after the election, you see, I think our conversation should look a whole lot more like acceptance and concession speeches than like campaign speeches. My aunt on my mother's side, my, mo my mother's sister, recently retired from a, a life of public service. Uh, she served for 20 years in the House of Representatives, Colorado State House of Representatives. Uh, and then she spent 12 or 13 years on the city council for the city of Denver. And she had, she had some success. She, she did well. And, and there, were, there were times when people wondered, you know, is she going to run for national office? And she never did. She never even ran for national office. And there were a number of reasons for this. But one of the reasons she told my mom this, she said, you know what? She said, for me to run for national office, she said, I've, I've become convinced that to succeed in running for national office I would have to campaign and act in ways that would go against my values, would go against my integrity. And she says, I'm just not going to do that. The reality is, the, the, the sad state of our political climate is that, is that one, of, one of the important necessary components of a successful campaign is your ability to criticize and even demonize your opponent. That's absolutely a necessary component in any attempt to win some sort of election where you, you criticize and even demonize your, your opponent. And, and so what you do is you exaggerate their faults and you minimize your own. You exaggerate their faults and you, and you minimize your own. And 
here's the thing, folks. As Christians, we can never do that. We just can't do that. The ends do not justify the means. The ends don't justify the means. Sometimes we think, well, you know, the end, the end goal, that, you know, see, that, that's what it's all about. It's the end goal. But you see, when, when we start to think that the ends are more important than the means, what we're really doing is losing faith in God. Because you see, we're not responsible for the ends. We're just responsible for the means. Honestly, the, the ends are going to happen really no matter what you do. If you understand a biblical understanding of the sovereignty of God, at the end of the day, it might not really matter what you do, right? I mean, God's going to do what he's going to do in however weird ways it's going to it's going to be, and so what matters more than anything is not the end, but the means is that we carry out our lives in, in ways that are honoring and faithful to God. We don't worry about the ends. We just focus on the means. See, when, when, we, start, when we start you know, criticizing and demonizing those who are different, I, I think we're likely to hear the same words that Jesus said to the disciples when when the Roman guards came to arrest him and take him to be crucified, you know what Jesus said to the disciples? He said, put your swords away. Because he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. And think about this. I mean, if there were ever a scenario where you're like, man, we should do whatever, it, what, literally whatever it takes. They're coming to kill the Messiah. What could be more wrong than that? What could be worse than that? I mean, if there was ever a time to break all the rules and just do whatever you can possibly can to stop this from happening, that would be it. Here's what Jesus understands, and this is at the very heart of the paradox of the gospel. Here's what it is. You can win the battle but lose the war. You can win the battle but lose the war. You see, the heart of the gospel is that Jesus lost the battle. But in so doing, he won the battle. So why was it that, that, that Clinton and Trump, they, they, you know, they looked so presidential? And, and why, why did they demonstrate in their acceptance and concession speeches, why did they demonstrate a level of humility that was pretty much absent throughout the campaign. Why did they demonstrate that humility? And, and you want to know why? It's because at that point, listen to this, they weren't trying to win an election. Guess what they were trying to do? They were trying to unite the country. They were trying to bring reconciliation. They were trying to do the very thing that the church is supposed to be doing all the time. And so when, when we seek to bring reconciliation, we do so by demonstrating humility, by showing respect for those with whom we differ, and, and, and even a willingness to learn from them, a willingness to admit that is there a possibility that I could be wrong. Listen, if you voted for Hillary Clinton, don't raise your hand. If you voted for 
If you voted for Hillary Clinton, um, you, know, you, know, you might be very angry. We see a lot of angry people, right? A lot of angry Clinton supporters, supporters out there. And so there's this tendency to lash out and, 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 and all of this and, and get angry and frustrated and all this. But listen, as Christians, we can never do that. In fact, I would even say this. If you, if you voted for Hillary Clinton, I, I would humbly ask you to consider this. Is it possible? Is it possible that those crazy, diabolical Trump supporters might have a point? I mean, is it possible that, that maybe they saw something that you didn't see? Is it possible that maybe you weren't weighing things quite the way that they should be weighed? Possibly you might be wrong about things. And if you voted for Donald Trump, if you voted for Donald Trump, you know, right, right now, if you admitted it publicly, uh, if you admitted it publicly, you, you might very well be receiving some backlash from friends, from family members, and, and of course, the instinct, right, what? It's, it's to fight back. It's to lash out again, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's to lash out. But listen, as Christians, we can never do that. Instead, I would humbly suggest to you, can you consider, can you think for a moment, is it possible that those crazy, diabolical Clinton supporters, is it possible that they might have something that's right? Is it possible that there's something in their perspective that, that you haven't weighed, that you haven't maybe seen it quite right? Is it possible that there's something that you might have wrong? You see, that's what Christians do. That's what Christians do. That's how reconciliation comes between people who are different. I read in Christianity Today that there is, there is this fear that the evangelical church could begin to split because there's so much division on this issue. But this is a moment. This is a moment for the church to show what it really is. And how it's so different than the rest of the world. And that is that we can come together with those who differ very much from us. And we can still, in humility, we, we, we can show respect and, and humble ourselves and listen to one another. This beautiful picture of what reconciliation is all about, because that is what the church is here for. Three ways in which we bring reconciliation into this world. First, we just show interest in people who are different than us. Secondly, we show respect. We demonstrate a willingness to learn from those who are different than us. And then thirdly, very simply, we give and we forgive until it hurts. We give and forgive even though it, it hurts. We just give even though it hurts. Right, I mean, reaching, re look, just even showing interest in people who are different. I mean, it's hard. It, it can wear on you, you know. It's just so much easier to just be with people that, you know, you can, you know, you, you can all rally against Clinton or rally against Trump. I mean, that's just easy. You know? That's just fun. And it's harder. It's harder to, to be with people who are different. What, what not just politically, but, but racially or, or even socioeconomically or in terms of hobbies. I mean, I mean, it's just, it's just easier to be with people that are kind of like you, right? And so as Christians who bring reconciliation, we give 
and we forgive even when it hurts. So closing, I just want to I just want to suggest, I want to ask you to just think of one or two people, maybe two people. Two people that sort of outside the church that maybe you're different than you. I mean, you know, they're different even in just in the basic fact that maybe they don't believe, right? So that's one way in which they're different. And it's easier to be with people who believe, right? It's more comfortable. But just pick two people that are different. Your next door neighbor, your coworker, whoever it is, whatever it is, different hobbies, and, and, and just and seek to, to show interest in them. Be intentional about those two people and just show interest in them. Whatever that looks like. What you find out that they like doing, you know, this. This is what Steve was talking about before. They, you find out that they like football, well, go watch football with them. If they, if they like to do whatever it is, you just show interest in them. Just be with them. And, and then don't just do that, but, but, but show respect for them. As they tell their story, they tell their story about what has led them to various conclusions that they have come to. You don't dismiss it. You listen to it with respect. You humble yourself to the possibility that I might be wrong about something. Something in our differences, there might be something that I'm, I'm missing. And you give, and you give and you forgive even when it hurts. And, and I believe, friends, if we, if we do that with intentionality and, and with perseverance, you see, I believe there will come a point when some of them, not all of them, but some of them will begin to ask Why are you doing this? Why are you showing interest in me? Why, why are you humbling yourself? Why, why, why are you giving and forgiving even though it hurts? And you do just the same because that's what Jesus is saying. Oh, dear God. We come before you this morning and we just, we confess, we confess our sin, we confess our, our faithlessness. We confess our fear and our anxiety that turns to anger towards you and towards others. God, I pray that we would return once again to the cross we return once again to this symbol which points us to just the central reality of who you are. And in that we might find a hope. A hope that can free us to approach you with confidence. God, I pray for those right now who are Afraid to come before you, Lord. God, I pray they would know you love them, you died for them, and that they could they can seek you and know you and be in relationship with you. God, I pray that as we look to the cross, we would go out and we would embody that with absolute faith. As we seek to love those who are different. We pray all this in Jesus' name.